This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 454th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a comedic phenom who is blowing up at the moment, having created and served as a producer and writer and the principal star of the ABC sitcom Abbott Elementary, which has been described by The New York Times as, quote, the best new network sitcom of the season, close quote, and, quote, the kind of comedy that network TV needs, close quote. With The Guardian suggesting, quote, it has Parks and Recreation sense of community, Modern Family's precision tooling, and Ted Lasso's charm, but is its own hilarious thing, close quote. The first season of this show about the struggles of teachers in a Philadelphia public school rolled out between December 2021 and April 2022, and quickly proved to be something special. Its second episode was ABC's highest-rated installment of a comedy since the finale of Modern Family a couple of years earlier. Ratings for the premiere were quadrupled after about a month, something that had never before happened with an ABC comedy. Season one overall averaged about 4 million viewers per episode. The show was renewed for a second season a month before the first season's finale, and the first season ended up with a 100% rating from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. And earlier this month, the show received seven Emmy nominations as well, including Best Comedy Series, making it this year's only network show nominated for the Top Drama or Comedy Awards. And my guest is personally nominated in three categories, producing, writing, and acting, which is a total never before achieved in a single year by a black person. I'm talking about one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People of 2022, Quinta Brunson. Over the course of our conversation, the 32-year-old and I discuss what led her to comedy and to create web content, including what proved to be the first viral Instagram video, what it was like subsequently working on projects like the first season of HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show, while quietly trying to sell a show of her own, how her mother, Norma Jean Brunson, and her sixth-grade teacher, Joyce Abbott, helped to inspire Abbott Elementary, and why she wanted the show to air on and deeply believes in the future of network television, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. 
Hi, Clint. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, great to have you on the podcast. Normally, I begin with a question I'm going to come to in a second about just where our guests were born and raised, what their parents did for a living. But first, I need you to help me understand. I always thought that Q-U-I-N-T-A was Quinta. Is So are we all saying it wrong or are, or how did, what, what's going on? <laughs> no. Quinta is another pronunciation of my name. Some would say that is the correct pronunciation. I've kind of grown up my whole life being called both Quinta and Quinta. Okay. I am the fifth child. Uh, Quinta means fifth. Yes. And I, um, it's actually something I had to land on when I became more of a professional in my field on deciding which one I wanted to go by. And I decided to go by Quinta. But what's hard about it is I don't always pick up when someone is calling me Quinta because I'm so used to it. Right. Right. So it's funny you bring this up. I was on a, a red carpet the other day and uh, the one woman said Quinta, you know, who was taking pictures and the, the rest of the people were like, Quinta, Quinta, Quinta. Everyone's confused. Yeah. And, my, and I didn't even catch it. My, right. my PR was so upset. And I was like, wow, I didn't even hear it. I'm just so right. used to hearing both versions. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for clarifying. Now I can sleep well at night. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so, all right. Now for the usual question, uh, just can you share for anyone who may not know, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? I was born in West Philadelphia, born and raised in West Philadelphia, trying not to sing the theme song. Um, <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> I'm proud of both of us. And my mother was a teacher and my father was, he managed parking lots okay. for a living, which seems so mundane, but I found it to be very cool. Sure. No, I've always thought that's the American dream. You uh, just, you know, one time payment and then let it let it just keep collecting. So exactly. I don't know. <laughs> uh, now, your mom, it was always kindergarten that she taught or did that change over the years? She taught kindergarten for the for most of her career. She had switched yeah. to first grade. I remember one year and she wanted to go back to kindergarten. OK. And that was good because you were uh, when when you were in kindergarten, that worked out nicely, right? It did. She was my teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in your memoir, She Memes Well, uh, and I will just mm -hmm. repeat that for anyone listening at home, that is M-E-M-E-S. You talk about the fact that your family that, you know, when you were growing up was was quite observant uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and how that may have shaped you. And uh, I wonder if you can maybe give a little version of that now, just how you think it might have uh, affected you as a kid. I think for for growing up, uh, Joe's Witness, it just, for me as a kid in West Philadelphia, I think it gave me some type of, it's just what religion gives a lot of people, but it gave me some guidelines, you know, it helped keep me safe in Philadelphia and uh, keep me out of trouble. Jehovah's Witnesses are very strict. It's a very strict religion. I wasn't allowed to do so much that when I did become passionate about something, um, it was often something that I that was in line with kind of my principles at the time. Like I felt like, oh, this feels like it's part of my purpose um, if I really want to do it because um, I had all these rules and guidelines and fears of God. But then there were some things that I was like, oh, I absolutely got to do this. I think this is in line with with what I'm learning. I felt that way about comedy. 
Um, you would talk to many other Jehovah's Witnesses and they would not say the same thing, but I felt that I had kind of a, a purpose in that arena that aligned with my religious beliefs at the time. So to connect the dots, I guess, to comedy, I guess there's first dance and then dance somehow leads to acting, which somehow leads to comedy. Yeah. Connect those dots if you don't mind. Well, comedy was always there. That's another thing. My family, we spent so much time together and we watched so much. We watched a lot of comedies, things that were the whole family could enjoy. Um, like a big one in our house was all of the Nick and Knight TV shows, all of the, the shows that became Nick and Knight TV shows in my era. Yep. So the Brady Bunch, um, Mary Tyler Moore show, Bob Newhart show. They all became really important to me, those sitcoms. Um, they represented like togetherness, things I could watch with my family, things I was allowed to watch. Um, and for that reason, you know, I really loved comedy more than I was willing to admit, I think. And, you know, as I got a little bit older, I started to find kind of my own things I loved. Like all that was really big to me. I just thought it was fascinating. Um, these kids, you know, t doing sketch comedy was so incredible to me. And uh, my older siblings kind of sharing comedies with them because it's what we also had in common. Like Ace Ventura, Pet Detective made my brother and I friends. I think <laughs> without that, I'm not sure we would have gotten along. Right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I was a dancer. My mom was a dancer. And so she also, that it gave me a love for the stage, I think, dancing and performing. And then as I got older, it became, um, you know, when I went to college, I studied advertising. So I was like, man, it'd be cool to make commercials. That's kind of like, you know, you get to be in the funny world, but not really. But then as I studied advertising and I realized I didn't really want to do that, um, but I did love the creative aspect of it, which kind of led to everything just slowly was drawing to what was my first love, which was comedy and sitcoms really specifically. Yeah. yeah. Even when I did like black lady sketch show, it was cool to be a part of a sketch show, but I was like, man, I really would love to be a part of a 22 minute comedy. <laughs> and that well, was before you know, like making Abbott. It was just yeah. something I wanted to be in, to be in one. Well, and I'll definitely, you know, I guess, go back and hit on a, a couple other things along, along the way there, but it is interesting. Um, and others have certainly noted this too, that, you know, I mean, I, I, you, all the reference points that you mentioned are the same ones that I had growing up, you know, those same shows. I, I love them. And, you know, I no I would think for our, you know, for, for millennials, uh, you know, the last thing in a way that somebody might predict you would be drawn to do if they didn't know that how important sitcoms were to you as a kid would be the mm -hmm. sitcom because we kind of came of age at the time of, of course, you know, the, the platinum age of TV with cable. And now then you mm -hmm. were kind of such a kind of launched in a way by the internet. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're streaming lives. So it's just, it's interesting. And I guess we'll, we'll come back to more of why, you know, where some people see the 22 minute format as, and, and broadcast network TV generally as constricting some people also, other people respond to 
working within confines very well. I know that Absolutely. was like, for instance, you know, Aaron Sorkin said said that, yep. which was interesting. So anyway, yep. um, Absolutely. but yeah. yeah. So just to make sure we hit on an important thing that's also going to come up, of course, later, you start out in kindergarten in your mom's class, I guess through fifth grade, you're in that same school. And then when you have to go off to sixth grade, it's at another school. And this is where enters the picture, somebody by the name of Miss Abbott. That's right. <laughs> so why was she so important to you that decades later, you named a show after her? I think because, you know, all right. So at first, the name of this show was Heritage Elementary. It was named after the school that I went to where my mom taught and I didn't clear. I had to get, I had to get another name. And I said, well, who would I love to bestow this honor upon? And I yeah. thought of, you know, my favorite teachers and Miss Abbott. It's almost the thing, like, I didn't know she was my favorite when I had her. I didn't even know she was my favorite by the time I graduated high school or anything like that. It was when I was put in this position to name something special after someone. I thought about everything she did for me and what a lasting impact she had on my life. Just, and it's, it's stuff you don't know while you're a kid, but her teaching us how to, how to be responsible with money or turning our whole classroom into a planetarium for the rest of the school to walk through. And I was a little scaredy cat when I got to her class because I'd never not been at the same school that my mom was at. And, um, you know, it was scary to me. And she really took me in and gave me confidence for sure. And these are all just wonderful qualities that a teacher has. And I, I always feel bad because I have so many other amazing teachers. <laughs> well, and, and hey, Abbott cleared. And I was like, you yeah. know what? <laughs> but I was like, I like the ring of this. I like it. I, I love it. it. It was simple. It was easy. And I loved the ring of Abbott Elementary. And, um, definitely. yeah, so it worked, but yeah, she was, she just was incredible and still is. I've talked to her recently. She's just still great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I folks should, who want to have a, have a good time should bring some tissues and go on YouTube and watch the Jimmy Kimmel episode with you and yes. special appearance. So we'll, uh, so sweet. We'll, we'll leave that. But, um, so what was it though in, I guess starting in high school and then really picking up along the way into college that made you look at comedy as not just something that was a lot of fun and you enjoyed, but that was something that could be that you might want to dissect and uh, really study even while you're studying, uh, you know, advertising and broadcasting. Mm -hmm. This It seems like it got a lot more serious. It did. You know, I was in college and and was watching SNL and – just started becoming obsessive. I was like, how do these people, you, you don't just, you know, walk up to Mr. SNL and get a job. Like there has to be right. <laughs> something to this and there's an art to what they're doing. And also it was at the time where my SNL era, when I was in my twenties was, um, you know, Andy Samberg had just gotten on the show. Kristen, I remember Kristen Wiig's first episode and I remember being blown away. I had never had that experience before of like seeing someone's first episode. Um, and because and I just started. 
And so she was on it. And I started realizing that these people know these other people. I'm like, wait, the people on the show know the people in the office. This is a community, you know, how do they do it? So I started researching and then I started being like, aha, I knew there was a, a place. And that's when I started finding out about, you know, UCB and Second City and Groundlings. At the time, I had a boyfriend. Actually, he was an ex-boyfriend. He was living in in, uh, in Chicago, but we were still super in touch. And I said, I found out that Second City was in Chicago. And I was like, I really want to see what this is like. I just want to see. I looked online. And I'll just, just yeah. say, this is while you're going to college at Temple in the Philadelphia area. So Chicago's what, like a couple hours train ride? Is, is that what it would be? train ride. Two hour plane ride. Okay. My first plane ride was to Chicago to go to Second City. Okay. This is back when plane, you know, planes could be, it could be cheap, but somehow the flight was like $90, which was a lot for me at the time. Sure, sure, sure. So I go, I don't tell my parents, but I go and stay with my, my ex and I'm like, I find out they have a winter course. So I went over the winter break and it was just a week long course. And I said, let me just see. And I went and it was just that feeling of like, I'm home, <laughs> like looking at the walls and seeing all these people and I'm like, oh my God, they all like were here. They all touched these floors or whatever. So I started taking the classes and the teacher, her name is Shelly Gossman. She took a real liking to me and even meeting someone who had made their career out of comedy, like she had written on SNL and I, to me, that was just unreal. I was like, you write on S, you know, <laughs> just couldn't. <laughs> she told me, I really think you should take the writing course. I said the writing course and I just took the acting course. And I, was, and I think that was the first time it dawned on me that, oh yeah, this stuff is written. <laughs> Not SNL, of course, but that, well, yeah, I mean, SNL is written, but I'm saying like it dawned on me every movie I've ever loved, every show I ever loved. I know that sounds crazy, but it was like, there, there is an art to this. There's a craft. So I took the writing course, fell even more in love. And that's when it became serious for me. I'm going to interrupt one more time just because Shelly, from what mm-hmm. I understand, not only suggested that you should, you know, suggested and that this would be a good fit. Pay for it. <laughs> like, and this might not have happened. This would not have happened had she not done that, right? Yeah. If she didn't pay for it. And I didn't ask her to. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I just didn't have any money. I was like, that's nice. Yeah, maybe sometime, you know, maybe eventually I'll come here and take a writing course. And she kind of was like, I think you should take it now. And came out of her own pocket and paid for me to take this writing course. I think that was also a turning point for me, too. I had done a lot and I had been good at a lot. I was a good dancer, you know, good at good at everything I did, really. But no one had ever, like, come out of their pocket and been like, you need to do this. And because I was so passionate about it, that changed things for me. Um, And also seeing someone like her right there in front of me, making a living off of, uh, that changed everything. I threw everything out the window. I mean, that was like the beginning of me just, I don't know, which is, you know, I don't want any kids to hear this and like, not finish college. But for me, that was the beginning of me being like, I know exactly what I'm going to do with my life. So, yeah. Now, at a lot of people's homes, but particularly at the home 
uh, at a home where one of the parents is a teacher, how did the idea go over that uh, I will be departing college after my whatever sophomore year? It did not go over well. (laughs) (laughs) And I did not. I didn't even really tell them until I knew I was doing it, which I think was smart of me. You know, it wasn't until I had the money saved, I had the ticket booked, is when I told them I am going to to, to L.A., you know, because I hadn't even told them about Chicago at all at that point. I had been back and forth <laughs> in Chicago maybe like seven times. <laughs> right. But, yeah, when I knew, and, you know, I knew there was no stopping me, really. But I knew I knew that, you know, that would make them support me. They would know I wasn't technically asking for permission, but but wanted to keep keep us intact and Sure. Yeah. Just uh, another thread that uh, preceded you going to Chicago and obviously would in a way kind of come back around was, you know, this idea that you were creating your own content and video content or visual content that happened even before going to Chicago. That was something that was going on at, at Temple, right? What was the rent? Yeah. The rant, how did you find this stuff out? <laughs> the, the rant was a little campus show that I had. I had this. Uh, th- this was at the time, right, when Facebook, believe it or not, had just gotten video, and it was just something to play around with. Like Facebook had just gotten video, and um, I decided to make this little, you know, little fake show and it was nothing at first I just was like playing around with my friends and ranted about whatever I wanted and did fun little raps and I did whatever I wanted and then people were like you should do another one and so I did and that time I had friends with me and I kind of treated them as guest stars And from that point on, I I kept doing it. And it became something that, like, my college really looked forward to seeing, me posting a new rant. And I would schedule it and tell them this person was going to be my guest. You know, it'd be be someone from the campus, like a a DJ on campus or, um, you know, one of the cheerleaders on campus or uh, Tim Fox, whose namesake was just the hottest white guy on campus. He was (laughs) was just... (laughs) (laughs) Um. Uh, And that became kind of bigger. Yeah. I said I had a boyfriend in college who became an ex-boyfriend during college, but he lived in Chicago yeah. and he he had people in Chicago watching it at Columbia, Chicago. And so it was like spreading and becoming this very big thing with right. comments. And so it was like my first early, early toe in uh, making a show and like making something for the masses, quote unquote, still college demographic, you know, small thing, but yeah. Well, yeah, going viral in a, in its own mm-hmm. way. Um, mm-hmm. So you moved to L.A., I guess, what is it, like 2013? 2013, like that? yeah. Um, yep. And out here, you've said that I guess you're, I think, 23 at the time you left Philadelphia, right? Is that what yeah. you would have been in 20? Um, and that, you know, there were actually a lot of people who were not not only not happy that you were leaving school, but not happy that you were leaving Philadelphia and Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're going to a place where you don't really know Mm -hmm. very many people. 
And Mm -hmm. so like what was out in L.A. when you got here? It was basically just places like UCB and the Comedy Store or or what what were you what was your community? I mean, when I moved to L.A., I, I fortunately had two friends, Gianni and Aaron, who had moved out here right before me. And then there were some other people from Temple from my college that had also made a move out here. I wasn't super close to them or anything, but they were people who I went to the School of Communications and Theater with. And so that was kind of my community. Like my friends, Gianni and Aaron, a friend, Brittany, who I had lived with, who was an old dance teacher. She was an old student teacher of mine, and I lived with her. Another girl I went to college with, who who her name is Nadia. She wound up becoming one of my very best friends and stylist, and now she's a full-time stylist. And, and my friends Quinn and Modi, and, and that I just had this small pocket of people. Then I started Second City, because that was the reason I came out to L.A. I knew that sec- they had a Second City here. And uh, I didn't want to go to Chicago because I just didn't see... I don't, I don't even know. I can't, I don't think at the time I knew why I didn't want to go to Chicago, but I think I knew that like SNL wasn't my end goal at that point. And I was like, that's kind of the only, you know, end goal in, in Chicago. So also before I made a permanent move to LA, I had come out here a year before making a permanent move for, I believe it was like two months Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to dip my toe in. I stayed with my friend, Brittany, on her studio apartment floor. God bless her. <laughs> and I was like, I just want to see what it's like. So I took a class at the Second City there. I was like, okay, this is fun. And I was like, I want to see if I can work. And so through my friend, Andrew Reynolds, his brother's name is Adam Reynolds, who was a producer at the time for um, Comedy Central. I realized that I was going to like be able to get work because he got me a job as a PA on a day PA on Key and Peele, which nice. the, which I started filming. It was the first episode. And then he got me a job as a PA on a music video on Donald Glover's heartbeat music video. Wow! And I was like, okay. I was like, so that was, that was, you know, a year prior. I was like, look, it turns out I can work. I can meet people. I'm going to be fine. I can go there. So I did when I moved, I just had this small community that just built over time. You know, my friends from Philly, they, they made friends so easily with, they were in the music scene and in clothing scene. So those were kind of my friends. And then my friends from Temple, they became closer friends, even though I wasn't that close to them at Temple. You, you know, you, when you're really out on your own, those people become like family. Um, and then Second City was, was great. I actually, I didn't do stand up until way later. Like I didn't even, I wasn't even interested in stand up, honestly. Like, but when I started going viral with my girl, who's never been on the nice, uh, nice day videos, yes. people wanted me to do these like appearances. They wanted me to show up places and just say the catchphrase. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And <laughs> my, my manager, who was one of my friends from Temple and we, he had newly become my manager and is still my manager now. He was like, you know, a way that you can still show up. And, 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 you know, he's like, it's stand up. And I really think you'd be good at it. And I was like, okay. So I started doing stand up and, um, that, that introduced me to that community kind of, you know, my community was growing. And then through stand up, I met Justin Tan, who was one of my writers now on Abbott. But at the time, 
Justin Tan was working at BuzzFeed and I needed a job. Like I had gone viral and stuff, but I didn't have any money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because in those, in the, or in whatever that would have, I guess 2014, I think is when that was like about 2014. Yeah. Yeah. Like that there, there, it wasn't really possible to monetize directly from Instagram. Right. It wasn't, it was, it was not what it is today. There was no ads, no, you know, you can, you weren't even, and I still to this day do not know if this is true. Someone told me this at an event at VidCon that said my video series was the first like series to go viral on Instagram. So this was before that was even a thing, like serializing videos or whatever. So there was no money to be made. I, I like sold T-shirts with the catchphrases on them. But honestly, I, I didn't love doing that. It was just not. Well, well just, just to remind people, this is the because of the way it worked on Instagram, these had to be 15 seconds or shorter. So for you, I guess it was just yep. like a just like a creative outlet that you initially put up on Instagram because you had had a response from from friend or, or it actually came out of yeah, from friends, right? But, from friends, yeah. I was, just, I was just a girl with a regular Instagram account, just showing my friends a video, you know. And and frustrated with what, like the LA dating scene versus Philly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask you to to say the catchphrase unless you're willing to, but I do know that it it is still so closely, almost a decade later. Could you would you ever I believe know. that this would still be uh, trailing you? No, but who, who you know, Scott, I, I'm learning a lot about myself uh, these <laughs> past few months. I am um, drastically intentional, even when I don't think I'm being, you know, I, I think my vision kind of guides me and I'm just always working in accordance with it. Um, so nothing surprises me anymore about what. <laughs> <laughs> you know so yeah well so uh as you say the ser- the this series of instagram videos which really did go viral before that was common for anything that's on one level giving you probably good feedback like this is something i i really can do well but on the other hand i still have to like eat so i have i needed a job and uh and so Justin told me about BuzzFeed. He was working there and he wanted me to be in a video um, for them. Something silly about, you know, potato chips from around the world. And I went to go be in the video, but I, I looked around the place and I was like, I need to work here. I need to work. I, I once again, talking about vision, but because BuzzFeed wasn't at all what it became while I was there. Like, but I was like, I can see the path of where this can go. Um. But at the time, it truly was just like taste test videos. There was nothing more to it than that. But I saw a little bit more. And I was like, yeah, I need to work here. (laughs) (laughs) And he's all, Justin's like, are you serious? Like, you're so good at, you know, whatever. But you're done. I was like, I need money and I need a job. And also, I love the stability of a job. Like, I don't love capitalism or anything, but I love a day-to-day. I love working with people. I love, it, it just always has brought me uh, clarity, yeah. you know, to do something every day with people. Um, and I was missing that too at the time because, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't working. I, I was making stuff, but you know, uh, anyway, so yeah, that's when I started working at Buzzfeed and then that opened up a whole new door of, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because basically what 
you were being asked to do at BuzzFeed, right, was was to make comedy that would appeal across a wide cross section mm-hmm. of demographics, right? Which is basically mm-hmm. the mandate for a network sitcom. Yeah, absolutely. And was that, that's when you realized like, cause again, some people fi- seem to find that not what they gravitate toward, not what they like, because they're saying, I don't want to have to please everybody or I don't want, but it, there was something right. about that while you're making videos at Buzzfeed that you found you actually did respond to. Yeah. I have, I, I loved it. I loved making videos for the masses. I always was like, I want to be able to reach every demographic. And, you know, while I was at BuzzFeed, it was almost like my own little personal fight for representation in a way. I was like, I want for people to be able to watch a video with a black girl in it and feel and feel that it is relatable. And that was part of my challenge of like, I wanted to make something consumable for everybody. And and I, once again, I'm not sure I knew how much I loved sitcoms and how much that influenced that one. I knew how much I love sitcoms. I'm not sure how much I knew it was influencing me, influencing me, but that was my favorite thing was to like try to make the world very small. You know, I had a series there called broke, which was about three black best friends who just were broke in Los Angeles. And I was like, I don't care that this is about three black kids. I want someone to be watching this in Japan and loving it. You know, that was always kind of my goal. And it did, uh, in that case, I think, sold to YouTube Red, right? That was a, it did get a a bigger audience. And I wonder though, how much were you aware at that time? I think you've talked about it since, but like there were supposedly YouTube studies and things saying that, and, 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 you know, I don't know whether to be, I guess you don't get angry at the study, you get angry at the people who they were studying, but like there was some bullshit that people did not click as often on Absolutely. Tell me, tell me what it you can describe it better than I can. What was the study? Well, I mean, we, that was something we knew working at BuzzFeed. If there was going to be a, a black person or sometimes another person of color in the thumbnail, the viewer was, or, you know, user of YouTube or whatever was less inclined to click on it. That was just, that, that's it. It's like our, our own inherent, you know, racisms. <laughs> So, yeah. And how did it's, that? It's really that simple. Like, did that affect what was BuzzFeed's attitude about that? We're going to, was it screw them or we're going to not put black people in our thumbnails? Oh, yeah. No, it absolutely wasn't that. I, and it's like what you just said. I can't get mad at, I don't even think people are that aware. I think everyone does it. It wasn't like it was like specifically white people. It was like that was something that a lot of us were programmed to do, like just be less inclined to click on something if we saw someone with darker skin color. So I don't know. It was like, well, you're going to get these (laughs) you're going to get these black people anyway. So good (laughs) luck. And, um, And so for me, it was always like, okay, I know people are less inclined to click on it. Right. But. For me, it was like, if, I, if the content is good, the word will spread. And so that's what I had to work with. 
And that's kind of the way I operated. I was like, well, the content's going to be good. So the word will spread. It may not be the most viral thing. And it may not be the most, it was never, my stuff was never the most viral stuff at BuzzFeed, but I never was trying to make the most viral stuff. I wanted to make good content. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So was it basically, I guess, was it as a result of, of Broke finding its audience with you know, selling to YouTube, Red, and all of that, that you, I, I don't think it was that long a period that you were at BuzzFeed. What what led you to say, I'm going to go off and kind of try to make it on my own? Well, yeah, I mean, when Broke sold, I remember where I was. I was at a, uh, I was at a bowling alley. And in the grand scheme of things, this is nothing, right? Like this, th- I sold my little web series to YouTube Red, which no longer exists. And it's like... <laughs> But for me, it was everything. It was the ability to make something that someone else, a show that someone else wanted. And the whole show was filmed. They brought it completely filmed, all the episodes. We were just going to put it out as a web series, but they brought it. And I was like, dang, this is huge for me. I was I was at a bowling alley. I remember falling under the table and like crying happy. And my friend Zach Kornfeld was like, dude, you did it. Like, you, you know, and that was a big moment for me of knowing that I had the ability to make something that someone would buy. And I knew that's how television worked. So I was like, okay, I want to. And no, I stayed at BuzzFeed for a while after that. For me, it was just, um, I think it was like 2017 that I left. And it was just that my opportunities were growing outside of BuzzFeed, right? And BuzzFeed, it was, is a nine to five job. And I knew I couldn't continue to work a nine to five and want to write for, I wrote on the show called Laser Wolf, uh, which was one adult, adult swim. And I couldn't ask my job to let me go for two months to go, you know, write on this adult swim show. And when I wanted to do certain acting things, um, I knew I couldn't like ask off from work to go film a pilot in Vancouver. Right, right, right. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess it's it's really amazing. So you say you left in twenty approximately twenty seventeen. I believe it was twenty seventeen. I'm yeah. pretty. And Abbott Elementary debuts five years later. So Crazy. we've got in that five years, basically a lot of stuff happened that maybe the public didn't necessarily see, but that really was keeping you busy and also maybe probably made it possible for you to make a a show like Abbott Elementary, right? Can you explain what was going on in, in those intervening years? Yeah. So a lot of it was, I was always prepping to, with my manager to sell a, a TV show. Like I was like, I want to you know, and, and, and I was drafting pitches. I was, so I could always be ready. My manager actually pointed out to me recently that, you know, I did, I had the idea for Abbott in 2017 and I didn't even, but it wasn't anything yet. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Sure. It wasn't like, 
Just drafting. I, I sent him a list of the kinds of shows I want to make. And when it was untitled teacher, right? He was like, I was like, wow, I didn't even. And my friend Kate, the writer in the room, she's like, dude, you were telling me about the idea on your balcony in 2006. But but you just have an idea, right? You just you don't know when what is going to materialize. So I was always drafting pitches. I got hired to be a writer on Laser Wolf, which was huge for me. Like getting hired to write for the first time was just such a big deal and life changing. And Laser Wolf's not this huge show or even a show that's still on the air or even a show that many people saw. But for me, it proved that I was a real television writer. And then um, trying to think what happened between Laser Wolf and it was me trying. It was me. I didn't attempt to get staffed on writing jobs too much because I was like, I kind of want my own thing mm-hmm. and I want to, but I want to make sure it's not time con- too time consuming. And I also pursued acting, you know, I wasn't that interested in acting, but my manager was like, it'd be a crime for you to not audition for things. So I started auditioning and I got hired on the, my two co-producers now, Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher had a pilot called history. Nope. Called end of the world as we know it. And I auditioned for that reluctantly. I did not want to audition. I did not want to be there. And you can ask Justin and Pat, I was just the most sour <laughs> Susan. I did not remember. I did not know the line. I, I kind of wanted to tank it. Like I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be. Even though here. this is a pilot for the CW, which if it got ordered to series would have been more exposure than you'd ever had before. Yep. And I didn't care. I was like, I I knew there was some different thing mm-hmm. that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and so I auditioned for it and Justin and Pat and, and Rob Thomas, uh, creator of a uh, party down and I zombie. Yep. And yep. Stuff. They told me, they're like, do you, you want to come back tomorrow? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, we want you to go home learn learn the lines and come back tomorrow. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and that's my manager. They called my manager and they're like, hey, she was really good. We want to see her again. And I was like, what? And I'm like, Adam, I don't want to do this. He's like, Quinta, go do it. I, I go the next day, still pissed, <laughs> but I learned the lines. Like, he's like, he's like, you have to, he's, he tells me who Rob Thomas is. Cause for all, I don't really know who Rob Thomas is like that. He's like, these are still, it's good for you to do these things. Me doing blah, blah, blah. So, they cast me and I was like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> what? And then, you know, in comes the, they're shooting in Vancouver for a month. I'm like, what the hell? I'm in a real, I'm, I just got into a study relationship in my life for the first time <laughs> in my adult life to who is now my husband. And I'm like, what? I have to go to Vancouver for a month. And he's like, yeah. And if it gets picked up, you'll have to be there, you know, six <laughs> to nine months of your life. I'm like, everything that's being told to me is a happy thing was the worst right. information I ever heard. Oh, my God. I still remember Peter Roth, who, who's no longer at Warner Brothers, but coming out and hugging me like, you got it. And I'm like, who are you? And this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And then it basically happened again, right? I mean, what was, except, I guess, so, yeah. So the, pilot, the pilot didn't go. Yeah. And then, but... Through that inter- interaction, I really, this is why it's important to sometimes just try things 
Justin and Pat became super important to me. I was like, these dudes, like, hear me out. The role they cast me for was originally for, like, a redheaded white girl, and I had it. And I had, and I worked with them a little bit to, you know, change up some lines. It wasn't me writing at all, but, you know, they didn't have anybody else to say, hey, this girl would say Anderson Pack instead of Arcade Fire. <laughs> it's like, stuff like that. So... You know, and then I had built this really positive relationship with Warner Brothers, too. After the pilot didn't go, wipe my hands of it. Warner Brothers called me back to 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 their uh, building. And it's a meeting in this big boardroom and all these people. They're like, hey, we want to keep working with you. Like that pilot didn't go, but we want to work with you in whatever capacity we can. If you want to make a show, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, mom, cool. Wow. So the beginning of a really positive relationship with Warner Brothers. So then after that, what happened? I hope my timeline isn't too off. Well, I mean, when, when somewhere in there is is uh, Quinta versus everything, right? The Facebook for Facebook Watch. Well, Quinta versus everything was while I was at BuzzFeed. Oh, oh so but was it? I guess did it maybe go on? Facebook watch after you had left BuzzFeed? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'd already left okay. and uh, and sold that through BuzzFeed to got Facebook it, watch. Got it. Well, so Quinta and Jermaine is this other pilot, right? This is for CBS? Right. So that was for CBS. Now, that one was one. So right after the pilot that didn't get into the world, I went to, I met with Larry Wilmore and I was friends with Jermaine Fowler and we decided to do this show, Quinta and Jermaine. And um, that was really also that was that was game changing for me because I, I pulled away from WB a little bit, not for any bad reason. But Jermaine brought this to me. Larry Wilmore was in the mix. You know, it's just like, oh, I'll do this with them over there. Larry was at ABC at the time. And um, I worked with them on that pilot. We sold it to CBS, which was really cool. I got to see what the process of selling a show really looks like. And I, I say this all the time. I would not have been able to make Abbott unless I had that experience with Larry. Larry was my crash course in television writing because up until then I had never really, yeah, I took comedy writing classes. I took, I read books about TV, but Larry it is a, just a savant of like television and learning how to write for CBS how to take notes, how to defend what you need to defend in your work, and how to even not have the show get picked up with grace. I learned all of that from Larry. I learned why act breaks on multicam should be different than an act break on a single cam and and the diff you know, why things need to happen in scenes as opposed to, you know, streaming where sometimes there are these long scenes where nothing happens that something can get away with. So it was just Without that experience with Larry, I don't even know. I don't know. That really solidified that I wanted to make a network sitcom because that was me actually seeing the art in it. You Interesting. Know? Well, I do want to come back to uh, an aspect of, of what happened with, with Quinta and Germain. Again, doesn't ultimately get ordered to series, but still you've said valuable learning thing for a number of reasons. But I wonder if one of them was just kind of learning about the challenges of dealing with people and places where they've been sort of in the in the habit of doing the same or similar things for a long time. Because I want to read back to you a quote. Yeah. This is from an interview shortly after uh, Quentin and Jermaine didn't go. This is you talking to Rolling Stone about, I believe, CBS. Oh, yeah. So you say, quote, 
Yeah. I get along with these executives, but it's not about that. They're still racist. It's the it's the comfortable racism that comes from being at a company like CBS for so long that only leads to shows that are like the neighborhood that are confronting race relations more than they're about black people. Close quote. Strong words, Quentin. Uh, well, Jesus that's Christ. all right. I mean, if if it sounds like though <laughs> that but your your point though is seems that, and I think part of what makes Abbott Elementary kind of makes it unique or or very rare is that. Yeah, there's a lot of black people front and center, but it's not about that. Yeah, it's about a school. It's about teachers at a school trying to roll the ball up the hill. And that's just the makeup of that world. You know, that was something while Larry and Jermaine and I were working at CBS, that was something we had to constantly, you know, go up against with that pilot. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to have these conversations about... They're black. Let's explain why they're black. Because <laughs> like, they are. Or like, well, even stuff you said, you know, like, well, hey, you want a character to be on a to, that takes the bus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that character in that world would just take the bus. And but that wasn't quite the CBS. Or it's not it's not what CBS had in mind for the show. And I was like. There were certain things where they wanted to, by the way, I must say again, there are some executives at CBS that completely respect Pharrell. They, they're great. Julie Pentworth being one of them, like great executive that helped me really learn how to, you know, work with executives. But for the network, we were trying to fit this show that wasn't a CBS show into a CBS packet. That, and that, that was really I learned a lot through that. I was like, you know what? Next time I sell a show somewhere, I'm going to make sure that's where it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. <laughs> if it's not supposed to be there, I'm not going to try to fit it in there. I want to make it for said right. platform. And I think that Quentin Germain was never a CBS show and we were trying to right. make it one. And that proved really painful for me. So much so that when I sold my next show, I had a show I did after that, after Larry and Jermaine didn't go, and I did it with a producer named Michelle Nader and uh, two producers, Michelle Nader and Danielle Stodnik. Stod, Stod <laughs> uh, still can't say her last name. But they're, they're wonderful, and they wanted to... I worked with them and sold the show to HBO Max. Um, but here's the kicker is I we pitched that show to ABC, and that's where I met Aaron Warnberg, who became the executive that is now the lead development executive on Abbott. Interesting. So it all kind of comes back to that. Yeah. It all comes back around. And that's why you keep your relationships healthy and everything, because we pitched the show. It was a show about BuzzFeed, about, about a girl working at BuzzFeed. And, you know, she was a a, kind of a bad, of the bad girl boss, but like her, it was really cute. We pitched it to ABC and Aaron Wernberg sold ABC to me. And I'm like, I had never experienced that before. And I was like, I want to work with them, but this is not the right Right, show. Because that show was raunchy and it was, you know, I wanted to get darker, hightailed it to HBO Max. And, but I kept, I, I left that meeting being like, that was the best meeting of my life and I will work with that woman. And so then at this point, what happens? It's such a train. Okay. Well, so it seems point, like Black Lady Sketch Show's got to come in there at some point there, right? Black Lady Sketch Show was actually before that. So Black Lady Sketch Show was when uh, I, I was in Black Lady Sketch Show first season. 
This is so crazy. I'm trying to give you the timeline. No, that's good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, so I was in Black Lady Sketch Show's first season, which was in 2019. And it was co-starring and writing, not just. I didn't write. I don't know where that. Okay. Yeah, that's like a rumor that. I can't get rid of. I did not. Okay, write well, we, we are we are correcting the record today. That's good. <laughs> I, I only starred in it. Um, I was asked to write, but I honestly really loved the ability to just go somewhere and act. It was so exciting to me. Like I had been in my own stuff at BuzzFeed for so long. I, to me, Black Lady Sketch Show proved to me that I was a real actor. I was like, yeah, well, it's interesting because it's not that far after um, the end of the world as we know it, where you wanted nothing to do with acting. I know. I know. It, it was so, I, I, Scott, I don't know. I don't know. Because <laughs> end of the world was so intense. It was going to take my whole life. Black Lady Schedule was one month of shooting. Okay. You know, it was one month of shooting. I get to be on HBO. It was bomb. Right. I was like, this is tight. I could do this. And then it proved to me that, like, I can just show up and act somewhere. That was really cool to me. And we should just say this is their seasons, each all three of which have now been nominated for Best Variety okay. Sketch Series. This okay. is um, six episode seasons, I guess, with six sketches each in each episode. It's Robin... Thede fronting it. We've had her on the pod. That was a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And Issa Rae, is that where you and she first kind of crossed paths? Because she was an EP, right? That's not where Issa and I first crossed. Issa, um, dude, that's so good. Your fellow nominee this year for I know. Best Actress Issa in a Comedy ex- Series. <laughs> Issa and I actually had lunch. She reached out to me and had lunch one time, years before that. Wow. And just because she wanted to. I didn't have anything to sell her or give her, and that's she cool. didn't want anything. She just wanted to have lunch. Like, that's why I will forever just fuck with Issa. She saw this other girl doing some cool shit and just wanted to have lunch. Nice. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it was. And that was like a maybe maybe like two years before Black Lady Sketch Show was even in existence. Crazy. And then the thing with Black Lady Sketch Show, if anyone hasn't yet watched it i mean the title should should give a little hint of what what it's all about but i mean the fact here's a line from april 2022 in the new york times quote it's worth remembering that it wasn't that long ago that the title sequence of this show included as many black women as could be found in the cast of four decades of saturday night live close quote um now doesn't mean that saturday night live wasn't great obviously you were very influenced by it but it is kind of amazing that on one show, I guess, had you ever yeah. had an experience where you were around so many other black no. women in a position of power? No, uh, not in, not in Hollywood, not right. in the right. industry. I mean, I've come from places with many, you know, my, my upbringing, my everything is many, many black women in my life, but that I had never seen. And honestly, I, like besides Abbott, I never had the experience again. Like, and I remember after filming Black Lady Sketch Show, realizing how rare that was to be in one place. It's something that like, <laughs> you know, white dudes get to be on shows, uh, you know, movie shows with other white dudes all the time. But usually when you are a black girl in something, you're the only black girl in something. And I really took that away from my experience on Black Lady Sketch Show. I was like, you know, I want to make sure whatever I make, I'm not the only black girl. Because I also yeah. think that's too much weight on my shoulders. It was part of what informed 
Well, it's part of what was exciting to me about Abbott Elementary is that it just naturally was this world that contains multiple different types of Black people. It wasn't a reach. I also don't love diversity casting. I don't love when people like don't know what they're doing. They just pluck a person of color in there. I don't like that either. And I don't like stories that do that. You know, like if I'm if I decide to make a story tomorrow about, um, you know, about like, I don't know, a store in Beverly Hills. Right. I'm going to tell that story. I'm going to yeah. tell I'm not going to pop some black people in there for no reason. Like, no, right. this is about white Beverly Hills people. And that's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you've said like as as that pertains to Abbott Elementary, it's like. Not that anyone suggested this, I don't I don't think, but like, sorry, she's not gonna have a white boyfriend. Yeah. That's just not, wouldn't not be the case. That's yeah. just wouldn't be the if if she did, it it would take some real explaining, but that's typically not the the makeup in Philadelphia. You know, dating is like dating is regional, dating is is socioeconomic, dating is about proximity too. Like that's more of an LA thing. I don't know many women, black women in Philly with like non-black boyfriends if they do it's the exception not the rule so i like to make sure i'm telling the accurate story of wherever i'm telling the story yeah so did the black lady sketch show chapter end after just the one season because you were now moving the ball with avid elementary no another common misconception so no um black lady sketch show season two was was starting it was in pre-production and then COVID happened and then COVID shut things down. And to be honest, I was just a little bit too afraid to go back to work during COVID. Sure. So the deal was I wasn't, you know, Robin was very understanding, honestly. And I was like, look, man, I don't want to work. They were going back pretty fast. Black Day Schedule was one of the first shows to go back during COVID. I just was not ready. I had had someone very close to me died of COVID, my cousin, people were dying of COVID left and right. I was like, I and at that point, they were the first show I knew of to go. I had only, I had only known of one other show and that show shut down of COVID. And I knew a girl who got extremely sick on the set. So I was just like, I told him and I was like, I love you, but I can't, I just really can't. I would be just, Abbott was not, um, had we sold Abbott at that? No, because, um, so th- this was the timeline, you know, first season of Black Lady Sketch Show happened when I, I then sold the HBO Max show after that. The HBO Max show didn't go, right? It didn't go. COVID was starting to happen. Black Lady Sketch Show shuts down. I take a meeting on a Warner Brothers lot. It was, it was with a producer there. I forget her name, but wonderful woman. She like produced uh, a Star is Born and stuff just to talk about movie stuff. I'm leaving the Warner Brothers lot. I run into Patrick, who is now my co-producer, who did history, uh, who did um, End of the World as We Know It. And, I'm, and we both, I told Justin and Pat about Abbott after End of the World didn't go. It was, you know, I met with them. We liked each other. I was like, I have this show about teachers. They were in the middle of doing Harley Quinn. I thought about doing it as a mockumentary style cartoon because I had already started working with Jermaine and Larry. And I was like, well, it can't be live action because this, if this goes, this will be live action. So I was like, maybe I can make this show as a cartoon and that way I can still. So Abbott Elementary was almost the cartoon. 
almost a cartoon. We thought of it as a cool mockumentary style cartoon. We oh would like it'd be cool if it was. I thought I'd never seen it done before a mockumentary style cartoon, and no. um, and it was going to be my way to be able to do both the things, right. you know. So Justin and Pat, you know, we talked about it, and they were like, "Yeah, like we we need to meet. That's a good idea." Blah blah blah. I ran it by another producer named Carl Jones. Actually, around the same times, Carl Jones did Laser Wolf, and he did The Boondocks, and and Carl Jones. That was a good idea, but then nothing kind of happened, right? I was doing the thing with Larry and Jermaine. I, I, you know, nothing really happened. So I kept it moving. But then I ran into Patrick on the lot and I, I was like, yo, I just, this show I sold to HBO Max didn't go. And he was like, remember that show you told us about teachers? And I was like, I do. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, I love that show. And he's like, what's crazy is we could do, we could do that now and we could do it live action. And I was like, I know exactly where I want to sell it. And he was like, where? I was like, ABC. I was like, I pitched this woman over there named Aaron Wernberg. And he was like, Aaron Wernberg. He's like, Aaron Wernberg started our careers. Talking about oh him my and God. Uh, Justin. And so that was the beginning of the, the Abbott train. But we, we, pitched, we had to pitch it to Warner Brothers. Um, but at that point, my relationship with Warner Brothers was very solid, you know, between History of the World and, or sorry, End of the World and working with Michelle Nader and Danielle. I had such a good relationship with uh, Adrian Turner and Shannon over there and Susan, uh, Susan Rovner, who's out there. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But we had this very positive relationship and Justin and Pat had a deal there. So we literally just kind of walked in and we're like, hey, we have this idea. And Warner Brothers was like, hell yeah. And I I told him straight up, I was like, I really want to sell this to ABC. Like, and I learned my lesson. I was like, this is an ABC show. <laughs> ABC show. Well, and the, yeah. the reasons you might have thought that, I'm going to leave to you to confirm, but it seems to me like of all the networks uh, that which have been kind of at least shown some evidence of being enlightened in – you know, the last decade, let's say, I guess partly because for a, a chunk of that, I think, wasn't it Channing Dungy who was running ABC, now running Warner Brothers TV, which is also you. Um, mm-hmm. But ABC at that time, I mean, that's that's blackish. That's yep. modern family, um, right. you know, quite a bit of stuff, right? Yes, but also when I had pitched the show I sold to HBO Max to ABC, Aaron Wormberg was telling me straight up, like, hey, we're about to enter a new era. You know, Blackish was, I think, in its, what was it? I don't know, second, eighth, seventh or eighth season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fresh Off the Boat had yes. just gone off there. Um, Modern Family had gone off there not too long ago. Aaron, like, knew, Aaron was new over ABC. Aaron was at WB. And then she was at ABC and she was like, it's time to usher in a new era, basically. You know, you start losing all your big temples. It's time to usher in. And I knew I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. I, I knew the show I had at the time, the HBO Max show, wasn't that. But I was like, I'd love to be a part of ushering a new era of ABC. And I loved ABC. All the comedies. Family Matters, uh, yes. <laughs> like yes. Family Matters. I, I've spent so much time watching Family Matters over the the pandemic, and I was like, "What a fucking nuts show!" Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and then I've I've lately. I don't know if you just a quick aside. I don't know if you saw. Was it the Mrs. Winslow? I forget Harriet Winslow. I'm sorry, yes. I don't know her actual her, yeah. her name, but she's apparently told some stories 
about just crazy shit that was going on on that yeah, show. <laughs> Have you watched that show recently? No, I, mean, I loved it as a kid. I really feel like they're not going to because it's a separate property, but I really feel like it needs to air on like the sci-fi yeah. channel. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> well, um, yeah. yeah. I watched uh, Dinosaurs over the pandemic. You remember that show? Vaguely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a Jim Henson show with the. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I watched that. I watched uh, Full House. <laughs> I'm like, man, you know, ABC can get weirdly risky. Yeah. yeah. I, they would make these like strides, and I was like, ah, ABC. And then, so then when the, the opportunity came to usher in a new era, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to go to CBS and try to fit into their era. I didn't really want to go to Fox because I just. I considered, I don't know, Fox wasn't really an option. We sold to all the networks and all the networks bought it, by the way, Abbott. Yeah. But I was like, ABC. And ABC. We, we can also <laughs> just note, you did not even show it to cable or streaming, right? No, uh, I didn't. No, I knew. I knew it was a network show. I knew it was a network show. The only other place that like I maybe considered was NBC. But... You know, at the same time, I'm like, ah, nah. like I knew Abbott was was somewhere on the. Yes, it's a workplace comedy, but I'm like, it, I knew the light that was in it. You know, I knew, and I was like, that feels more ABC to me. It's it wasn't. You know, I was like the kids, the school. It's a certain warmth to this show that I felt f- fit the ABC Family comedy narrative. But I knew they didn't have any workplace comedy. That's the other thing, too. I, I Just because I was a marketing and advertising yeah. major, I go, yeah. well, where, where are they missing the product? You know? right. And NBC wasn't technically missing a workplace comedy, but ABC was. And so I was like, there's more of a chance for it to get picked up over there, too. So, so yeah. just to go back to the very kernel, I mean, as you said, this idea was you're talking about it or – you know, kind of casually as far back as 2016, you said maybe somebody, somebody remembered that the original kernel of the idea you've said was because you, you want to, you're back in Philly for a visit. You go to see your mom at, at the school where she was winding down her career. And what happened? Um, I'm I just, you know, I had been with my mom in schools all my life, right? Like I went to, I was, was in her kindergarten class. I went to the same school where she taught from first to fifth grade, but it's more than that. It was riding to school with her and, and another teacher, she would pick up Miss Facey and hearing them talk and then being there before the kids got there because I had to get there when she got there and seeing what goes into, you know, class into her life before the kids even get there. And then after school, I would come be in her classroom for another two hours while she did all the work she had to do after school and had her conversations with the other teachers and her relationship with the principal, et cetera. And, um, you know, I also knew my mom's home life. You know, I knew how much life there was outside of her just being a teacher and people's favorite teacher. But I really got to see the ecosystem of a school, like what the, what it looks like behind the scenes. And but I didn't realize that until I went back to visit. It was when I had some separation from the situation. And all of a sudden, I'm in my mom's classroom for the first time in years. Like, and I'm just looking at it, this thing that was so familiar to me, but now looked a little foreign. 
And it felt like I was just watching TV. I'm just like sitting at my mom's desk watching her kind of kooky principal at the time come in and out and watching her. <laughs> she also was at a new school. She had she'd been at the same school for almost like 20 years. And then she in her before her retirement, she had gone to a new school and she had been there for about three years. So what also was interesting to me is that wow, my mom's ecosystem looks exactly the same that it did at her other school. Right, right. That was so so fascinating to me. Like she had the same kind of person as her, her best friend <laughs> and, you know, in the same kind of relationship with the parents. And it, it looked like she had just transported her classroom to another classroom. <laughs> like With she, the same problems probably, right? And, Yes, exactly. And um, that all was so unique to me. And I think it showed me like my mom, this is who my mom is. My mom, it might be one of the few jobs, right, that I believe you kind of are what you do. Everything else, I feel like my job is what I do. It's not who I am. And I feel that way. I know people don't, don't, they would be surprised, but I feel that way about what I do for work. I love Abbott. I'm fortunate enough to love my work, mm -hmm. but that's work. It's yeah. not necessarily who I am. But with teaching, I think it might be the one job where you kind of, you know, the kind of person you are very much is to even teach is like all intricately linked and watching my mom's office be the exact or her classroom be the exact same as it. It's like, this is who you are. Like she teaches all the time. You know, she talks to, to me like I'm a kindergartner still. And so I, it was just fascinating to me. And I'm sitting at her desk and I'm watching it. And I was like watching her talk. And I said, this is beautiful. This is a show. I feel like the viewer, but to be here and be in here is what the mockumentary should feel like. To be sitting in this classroom the way I am right now. And it went from super funny because, you know, I just look at people and things and laugh like a crazy <laughs> person because I do just think people are naturally yeah, so funny. Yeah, yeah. To me and my mom arguing about me wanting her to retire and, and her <laughs> wanting me to quit comedy and come home to super um, powerful when a, a parent came in at the last minute and brought their kid and talked about their kid's behavior and the kid played with block. That was so powerful to me. So to go through that range of emotion. Yeah. I was like, this is a TV show. And it the idea is. that you just mentioned of it being in the mockumentary style, that I, I, I wanted to ask you about how early that entered the picture because you've been very, um, very nice about complimenting, you know, collaborators. You've said Larry Wilmore, obviously not, not, not on this project, but he helped shape what you've done. And then the other person who, one of the other people who I've seen you be, you know, effusively complimentary about is this guy, Randall Einhorn, who had been involved with Parks and Rec and The Office, he's now an EP, and I think he directed your first four episodes of season one and the finale. Uh -huh. But was the fact that those happened to be mockumentary, did that, was that, was he uh, bringing the idea of mockumentary or he came because you already uh, knew that you wanted to do a mockumentary? No, at that point, you know, at that point, it, Abbott was a mockumentary because Abbott was a mockumentary even when I thought of it as a cartoon. Oh, you know well, what I right, mean? That, it was right, always. Right. It was always a mockumentary when we, you know, wrote, when I, I wrote the pilot, we developed it and I wrote the pilot. It was written as a mockumentary. And then it was time to find directors. And I was like, I really want someone who's done mockumentary before. I know this is a different beast. And 
I need someone who knows what they're doing because in reality, I didn't. And <laughs> Justin and Pat didn't. None of us had ever done a mockumentary right. before. And we, all we knew was it was different. And so we, the pilot goes out, different directors come to us. And some of them, I'm like, have they done mockumentary? You know, ABC's like, no. I'm like, I'm so sorry, y'all. Like, I don't mean to be a, a brat, but I don't want them. Like, I can't figure out how to do this with them. I want someone who knows what they're doing. That's the only way we're going to make a good pilot. Randall Einhorn gets back to us. Here's this guy directed. I don't even know how many episodes of The Office Randall directed, but helped develop this style here in America, Parks and Rec. And I'm like, oh my God. So we meet with him and I'm like, holy shit. I was trying to find like a woman or a person of color, but you know, here's this, the whitest man I know <laughs> in our interview. <laughs> but more than him having the knowledge of mockumentary, he got the show. He got it. He got what we were doing. He got what we were trying to do. He understood every at every level, the heart, the humor. And I was like, this is our guy. And he just, without him, there'd be no Abbott as people know it because, you know, I was such a fan of The Office that I'm like, yeah, she looked like The Office. But he said, he was the one that said, but this is Abbott. This is we're not going to do talking heads in the uh, break room. Mm-hmm. We're going to do talking heads in the hallway mm-hmm. to to show the length of the school and the warmth of the school. And we're not going to have drab lighting. The lighting should be warm because we're dealing with children, not paper. And I'm like, you're so right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And it was stuff, stuff I, I felt in my vision, but I couldn't necessarily articulate. Right, right. It was such a, I mean, to have him there and to even help direct mockumentary is a little, this was, once again, things I knew but couldn't articulate. I knew that the acting style had to be different, but he had the director words to say (laughs) how it needed to be different, you know? And I just felt like without him, we would have been fucked. So then the show got picked up. Randall came on as an EP and I was with open arms. Like, hell yeah, he, because the three-headed beast was me, Justin, and Pat. Right. But then it also became Randall yeah. because so now we're this four headed beast yeah. and Randall is just so intricate to the shows. about. I we we're we're so grateful. I know I am to get nominated at all, let alone for seven Emmys. Yeah. But let me tell you, I was so sad when I didn't see Randall was nominated. I was like, no, <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. Well, I'll tell you what the comedy the comedy series one, even though it's for the producers. I mean, that's or for a handful of them. That's still that's a recognition for everybody, no, right? No, it is incredible. It's all I. It's the only thing, you know. When we started making Abbott, that wasn't a part of our goal. Like our goal was not to get nominated for Emmys. It, it just wasn't. You know, we wanted to make a show that some people would watch. We didn't think it'd be. We didn't know it'd be a hit. Like we didn't know any of that stuff. While filming, there were moments where I started to be like, I told Charlie Ralph that I was going to give her Emmy-worthy material. Yes, yes. That was your pitch to her, that, right? That you, yeah. <laughs> I, well, actually, that was, that was, yeah, I mean, I was like, look, man, you're such a good actor, and I feel like people have had you in the trench, trenches just being Charlie Ralph for a long time, but I want to give you material. Yeah. And then when we were in editing, it became very clear. Like on set, it felt like, Ooh, we got something good. And the writer's room was like, we have something good. And then <laughs> on set, it was like, wait, this feels real good. And then in editing, it was like, wait a second. <laughs> Whoa, this is really good. And then, um, but you know, 
the the only thing I wanted once the Emmy conversation began was the series to be nominated because I cannot tell you how much how hard people worked on this show. Yeah, yeah. People who we so many people put their love and care into this show and I just felt like the only way to recognize it was like a show nomination. Well, I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to definitely know? I want to ask you about that in a second, but before we go too far down the chronology, I mean, is it correct that you almost didn't act in this show or that was not on your uh, dance card at first. Yeah. I didn't pitch Abbott with me in it when we were doing it as a cartoon. I really wanted to be in it to do voice acting. But then for some reason I was at this place when we, when we started pitching it to Warner brothers where I was like, it'd be cool to just focus on making this show. Like, I don't really, I don't think I have to be in it for it to be good. I'd love to just, sit back and, and write the show and then kind of got away with that for a little bit with Warner Brothers and I, I literally pitched other actresses and stuff I was like you know someone a, a Kiersey Clemens type or I had all those <laughs> and uh Warner Brothers somebody at Warner Brothers actually said to me like you're crazy if you think <laughs> <laughs> we were making this show without you in it and I was like okay I guess I'm in the show then and it was I want the was there any play. other part you ever could have seen yourself playing or it was always Janine no, it was always Janine because in the original kind of original pitch of this show, I actually had Barbara as the main character. Okay. And then in development, it became this kind of two-hander with Barbara and Janine. And I always wanted it to be more of an ensemble comedy, but it just helps, you know, to start it off with, you know, a one or two character focus. And so in the original pitch, it was like Janine was a side character, like um, not the center. And that's the beauty of development. Development is hell and it sucks. But in the development process for Abbott, we all realize like this has to move through Janine's eyes. It has to move through the person who wants to talk to the camera, who wants to make the school a brighter place. And it wouldn't have looked the same coming through Barbara's point of view. Right. And, and that was a very important part of the development process that absolutely changed what the show could be. Let's just talk about what the response was just to quickly list this out. I mean, it's pretty incredible. The, the second episode was ABC's highest rated comedy episode since the finale of Modern Family a couple years earlier. Ratings for the premiere were quadrupled after about a month, something that had never happened before for an ABC comedy. Season one averaged about four million viewers per episode. The show was renewed for a second season a month before the first season's finale, which is not a common thing. And the first <laughs> season ended up with a 100 percent rating from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, which, again, does not happen. Um, I think Breaking Bad and like we can come up with a couple other very few examples. Mm -hmm. Um then, of course, the uh, the fact of the just a few weeks ago or whatever uh, with the with the Emmy nominations, not just best comedy series as the only network show nominated for either best drama or best comedy. There's 16 shows between those top two categories. You guys are the only network representative. It's also got those other six nominations. You personally first black person ever to receive three Emmy nominations in one year. This is producing, writing, and acting. I guess when you hear that all said back to you, just uh, what, what was your what was your reaction? And then also, uh, also we should say, I, I'm sure many people would be curious, the reaction of the, the two people who seem to have most inspired this, your mom and Miss Abbott. My reaction is 
I'm just going with the flow. <laughs> this is all so amazing. It's all so incredible. It is so incredible, especially for my cast, you know, not just Cheryl and Janelle and Tyler, who amazing for all individual. We, one, they all deserve it. And Tyler, Tyler didn't even expect it nor want it per se. He he was super excited, put, pushing his support behind just the show and me and, and Cheryl or Janelle. He just, he's a super smart guy. And one of my favorite, I really hope he becomes a producer one day because his brain on this industry is fascinating. He's been in it since he was a kid. He's not crazy. He's somehow still super stable. <laughs> um, so for Tyler to have this accomplishment to me is like, it's important. And it's important for comedy. Like comedy is innate and he's been doing it well since he's been a kid. That proves to you that it's an art form. You know, it's not like a fluke. Some people take this very seriously. <laughs> On purpose, you know, he always wanted to return to a sitcom. I think that's incredible. Um, Cheryl deserves it. Like I said, I mean, she's been in this industry for so long. And I always felt like just with the right material, you know, she would get the recognition she deserves. And she felt that even before the Emmy nomination, just like people seeing how good she was. And Janelle just absolutely deserves it. With her, I was like... Are they going to do that thing where they don't consider her because she's new? I felt that way about the whole show, honestly. I was like, they might just not consider us because it's the first season of the show. 13 episodes, mid-season pickup on a network. I, I would have, I fully believe there was an option where we did not get nominated at all. And I, and I wouldn't let anyone take that from me because I was like, guys, I just have to feel that way. Yeah, yeah. And still know that we did good work. But the thing about Abbott is, with all these accolades and everything, wonderful. I love them. I'm so grateful. What continues to be the most powerful to me is being able to have these like fans, these people who genuinely enjoy watching this show. And they enjoy watching it with their families, and they enjoy sharing it. This week, there was a Comic-Con activation for Abbott, and I'm just, my mind is blown, Scott. <laughs> blown. I haven't even been to Comic-Con yet as a nerd, <laughs> but my show has. And these people are, you know, showing up here, having a good time, getting merch, excited to find out which character they are and get their sticker that if continue, continues to be, as I told you from before, I want to be able to, it's about people for me. I don't, you know, just people, just people who work their jobs, their nine to fives, and they get to come home and they watch one show with their family. And that's what I had with my family. And, you know, for me still with my family, it's King of Queens. Like, you know, <laughs> that became the one where every time I go back home, night wears down. King of Queens is, is at least on one of the uh, TV land or, you know, late night on, on uh, you know, one of the stations. And that is important to me to be able to have created that for people is like I've done my job and it wouldn't have mattered if we were nominated or not. I know that we are giving people 22 minutes of comfort, yeah. of laughter. Well, yeah. with our... Uh with our last two minutes, I wonder if I could just give you a couple of, this is just sort of assorted random stuff. Um, first, I want to get out of the way. The question I have to ask as a journalist, I have my own thoughts about this, but um, 
this Uh-oh. this thing with the there's a there's a woman who you know has now come forward and is claiming that she conceived of all this. Can you? Uh, oh, Scott, you know I can't talk about. Can't that. Talk about- you know I'm legally not allowed. Yeah. Okay, but I wanted to, only to give you the chance if you wanted to swat it. But I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I appreciate that for real. I, I, you, honestly, I really appreciate sure, sure. that. But you know, legally, I am not. Okay, no, to talk we'll go to the next that. one. Um, I wish I could. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> okay, next. Uh, how far along are you guys with season two? Anything you can tease about that? Because many of us are excited about that. Um, I'm super excited about season two. Uh, as far as the writer's room, we have the entire season laid out. Um, we, we were fortunate enough to find out about a month ago now that we were getting 22 episodes, which was super exciting for us. We knew that we, we were ready. We were preparing for that already. Justin Halpern, my co-producer, he already like was starting to lay out the schedule so that we could, you know, be ready for 22 episodes. And so in the room right now, we're up to... We have seven episodes written. We are, the eighth is about to be written. Nine and 10 are outlined. And uh, that's big. That's really fast. Yeah. We only started in, yeah, like we're crazy far along. We only started in May. Um, so testament to the to the room, to the writers, to all of us. We have a really good handle on what the show is and it's not hard for us to write. And so, and I, I'm very transparent with my writers about where I want the season to go, which makes it easy. Well, I've heard you've, you've kind of thought it out for, for like years down the road of generally where it's, where <laughs> it's going, right? Yeah. I mean, roughly like, yeah, I think like, yeah, I, I think we can get a lot of bang for our buck with this show when I have ideas. But the thing is, I'm never like super, super solid. I love my writers because they help me to make ideas bigger or smaller and that's the beauty of having a writer's room, you know, just perspectives you need. So we're super, we just finished our first week of filming oh, and wow. it was just incredible. I mean, it was just incredible to be back. Like the first day, um, my first scene was with Tyler and Tyler, like, you know, I was like a little like rusty, like, holy shit. I'm like, did I forget everything? And he's like, this is, he's like, this is how it goes. You got to shake the dust off. We've been out talking about the show for so long and not doing right. the show, but now we're back to doing it. And the first day, everybody just had to shake off the dust. And by the end of the week, it was like, oh, God, like, we are so happy to be back straight up in the groove. Randall's block shooting the first two episodes. And, like, we're right back where we left off. And it just feels incredible. Um, Some of the things I can tell you is now that we have these 22 episodes, there's an opportunity to have, like, arcs that, you know, we didn't really introduce an arc until the end of the first season, which was the superintendent and the funding for the school. That was kind of me testing the waters. Like, can my little show get away with a little (laughs) art? Will the audience react to that well? And they did. And so now you can expect some very cool arcs, I think. Um, Very cool. And then I think other than that, um, in the first season, we had these guest appearances that I think no one expected. I think you can expect more of that. Oh, that's awesome. I, it's really fun to play with the world that Abbott is. It's, it's hyper-realistic for Philadelphia, but also I play a little bit with the geography of Philadelphia, play with the, you know, what we can attribute, what we can say is real life and what we can't, it's fun. Like, and I think we're going to experience a lot more of that this year. I think the first episode uh, is great. And I think people will see it, a guest star they're not expecting. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so I'm excited. I, I really hope people like it. And I'm so excited to have more 
fun, like just fun episodes that, you know, aren't necessarily connected to anything. That's why our teacher last year was one of my favorites because it just like existed. And um, hopefully we'll have some more of those this year. Last two quick ones. Um, You know, you are, especially given the, the, response that I cited earlier uh, to the show and the Emmys and all of that, you know, you and the show are really kind of regarded by a lot of people now as like the best reason to still watch network TV among, obviously the general public still does it in huge numbers, but in the industry and in the media, there's, there is sort of a, uh, I don't know if it's snobbery or just an attitude about network TV that's different. And I wonder as that person, what in your mind is the best argument to fight for network TV that it that it deserves a spot in the in the conversation? Network TV never stopped making compelling work to me. First of all, there are three channels, not just one, and uh, you know, This Is Us was one of the most compelling dramas on TV consistently for every season, and um, like. Hello. Like, you know, I, I, I sure I guess it's no Game of Thrones, but also it's super compelling to be able to do, you know, act breaks that that keep people coming back, cliffhangers and stuff like that. That's not easy to do. And um, doing an act break period isn't easy to do. It, it's in, in, a, in a lot of uh, cable or streaming television doesn't have to do an act break in the same way that you have to on network TV. That's a real skill. I mean, it's something that I learned when working with Larry and continue to like get better at, especially through Justin and Pat. Justin is is so about his act breaks and it, he reminds me sometimes like that is a real skill. So, and then, you know, it's not just Abbott, like Ghost is killing it. People love Ghost. It's one of the favorite new comedies of the season and people enjoy it. It's almost like if with with Network 2, it's like looked down upon if people are, I don't know, enjoying it. Or no, that's, it, it is. It's like if, if too many people like something, can it can it be good? That's the, I think that is sort of the attitude about a lot of it. Obviously, uh, I think you've you've put to rest any question of whether it can be can be good and popular but i mean there are they're just it's just kind of amazing that whereas 10 years ago or whatever 15 years ago everything that was getting nominated for for emmys was from these you know handful of of broadcast networks you guys Mm -hmm. are it at the moment yeah at the moment i mean i mean i would love to to see that change but i also know that my path has allowed me to create a show like Abbott for a network like ABC, you know, I, I watched, I'm watching the bear on FX and I'm like, you know, Abbott could have easily looked like the bear. It was, it didn't. And it, and it, it wasn't going to, and I love the bear because it's like this, this d- darker workplace comedy. I'm just saying that there is art to yeah, both. Sure. And I hope that, I hope that more people now go toward the network route. And I think network has a better understanding of, Younger people, at least ABC does, has a better understanding of, you know, the millennial. Um, but I think cable and streaming help show them that value. You know, when people like Issa went from ABC to uh, um, HBO and all these people made these huge big comedies on these networks and stream or sorry, on these streamers and, um, you know, cable network had to kind of adjust like 
yeah, you got like your demographic is even changing network because we're the, we're the old people now. We're the, you know, I'm only 32, but it's like, yeah, but I'm the target. When you're selling a, a Dyson vacuum, you're selling it to me. <laughs> when you're selling, I'm the person watching commercials now. I'm like, wow, I really want to try that Mr. <laughs> Clean. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that uh, leads us in a way to the, to the last question, which is just, you know, um, where do you uh, where do you see all this this going? It's such an exciting, and I'm speaking about for you personally, such a such a kind of crazy moment. And I know you're so busy that I don't know if you've had time to really process all of it or digest it. But like, the, not just not just Abbott and all the uh, response to that. But I I mean I think it was in the last week or so that we see a uh, still release. You're playing Oprah in a movie. Uh, this is weird. The Al Yankovic story. I mean, there seems to be a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. So just what's, it's not that yeah. much. No. So Abbott, Abbott is my focus. I want to continue to be with this show. I feel that I need to be with it directly for the next, for however many, you know, I, I want to keep being here full time, you know, full time, fully in the writer's room, fully in production. I'm even having a little bit of trouble this season because it's like, fuck, I got to do all this like other shit. Like I mean, <laughs> last year we got to make it in the bubble where nobody right. cared. Right. Now this year I got to do all this other stuff that kind of like will take me out of the room. Once again, I am still grateful for yeah, all of it, but yeah, I'm yeah. just saying I love being with, I love my writers. I love my crew. I love my production staff and I love my cast. And it's just incredible. And I want to keep, I want to make sure it continues to be a good show. And the, little, the little things I've done outside of Abbott have been easy to do. Like I did, you know, party down, one party down, like, but that only took like two days of my time. You know what I mean? And this uh, weird Al Yankovic thing, it's literally like Daniel being, you know, I worked with Daniel on Miracle Workers and him being like, get, get Quinta. And like, it's a day of work. And it was super easy to be a part of this incredible film. So it's also, I just want to hype it up. It is such a silly film. I cannot <laughs> wait till it comes out. Like I'm over the moon for it. I couldn't believe they asked me to be in it. Um, but then there are other things that I'm like, I, that I can't do. There was a movie I did want to do um, that I was just like, that's too much time away from Abbott. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to keep taking things as they come. If it's easy for me to do outside of Abbott, I will. Um, eventually, I'd love to develop another show, but I don't know when. I just want to focus on making Abbott. I, I love it and I want to keep making it good and I have more stories to tell there. And I think with network TV, I've always heard that it's an engine and I was like, eh, but I'm seeing it now, you know, with the 22 episodes, like this, I'm, this, these become engines, you know, and I just want to make sure the engine is well built and then I'll go get another car. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's it's you're doing amazing uh, work, and thank you so much for taking some time away to do this. And uh, can't wait to thank see you, the rest of it. I was dreading this. I was so scared. <laughs> what? I was. I because I hate podcasts, and I was dreading this all day. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm like this." <laughs> this was so wonderful. Wow. Thank you so it, much. It's a treat for me. I'm really excited. I, I, uh, you know, I, I think I first saw your. I was oblivious, unfortunately, to uh, some of the the 
uh, more meme related uh, stuff. But when I saw Black Lady Sketch Show, I'm like, she's going places. I got to see this. So. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. <laughs> Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.